So one of my favorite meditation uh, poems that speak to meditation anyway uh, by Billy Collins called In the Moment and he's in the poem he says it was a day in June all lawn and sky and I wanted nothing more than to be in the moment but which moment? Not this one or that one or the other one or any of those that were scuttling by didn't seem perfectly right for me and besides I was too knotted up with questions about the future and her tall evasive sister the past and what would we serve the vegetarian twins who were coming for dinner that evening and why was the driver of that pickup truck hurtling down towards the railroad tracks And so the priceless moments of the day were squandered one by one, or more likely a thousand at a time, with quandary and pointless interrogation. Sound familiar? (laughs) All I wanted to be was a pea of being inside the green pod of time, but that was not going to happen today, I had to admit to myself. So... Thousands of moments have squandered with quandary and pointless interrogation. <laughs> I think it's a very good description of meditation. <laughs> All I wanted to be was in the moment, but not this moment. How many times did you not want to be in the moments? <laughs> that were happening in your practice, in your meditation, right? It's why we, one of the reasons we check out. Because we don't want to be here, because it's, you know, maybe it's boring, maybe our body's aching, maybe our heart's hurting, maybe we're feeling some anxiety and agitation from the residue of work and conversations and whatever strife is happening in your life or whatever difficulty is hard to be with. Right? So we, we don't want to be here. That's why it's, meditation is not easy. Because we have to sit with ourselves. We have to sit in the fire of our experience and life. And many times it's not so wanted, welcome, pleasant, easy, interesting. You know? Anybody bored in the last meditation? Right? What do we do when we're bored? We create a fantasy. We create a story, we plan our vacation, we have a sexual fantasy. We go back to work and figure out our work problems. Even though half the day at work we were thinking about being at Spirit Rock. (laughs) We're funny like that, you know. So meditation is a mirror, it's a reflection. I just spent the week up in the mountains in the Sierras... Um, above Mammoth Lakes and spent a week looking at this beautiful mountain, Mount Banner, Mount Ritter, reflected on Thousand Island Lake. And um, there's something very powerful about nature being a reflection back to ourselves, which is what I wrote a lot about in my book, first book, Awake in the Wild. So meditation is a reflection back to we look we look in the mirror and we see what's here. What is this thing called body, mind, life, awareness? 
present moment. And then it's also a training. It's a training, it's a discipline in how to uh, work with the forces of our inner and outer experience, but particularly our inner experience, the forces of the mind, the habits of thought, the, the movements of the personality, the, the surges of emotion, the discomforts and the agitation of the body. Right? It's a training in how to be present and kind and curious with all of that. Which is why we often say it's simple but not easy. Simple to follow the instructions, be present, be aware, notice what's happening. But way more complicated and subtle and nuanced when we're actually in the midst of it. And awareness itself is so mysterious. And attention is mysterious. And it seems we can make the intention to be present. And we're with one in-breath, one out-breath, and we're feeling the movement of air very closely and subtly. And then we start to visualize air. Or we visualize space. Or suddenly we're on a cloud and we're seeing clouds. And then suddenly we're flying. And then we've got to remember to book our ticket to London. And then, and how did that happen? I was with the breath and the air. When breath becomes air, that beautiful book, when breath becomes air and then gone. And, and it's, it seems like we're aware, where we're making the intention to be aware, and then we're not. Or we're aware of something else. The, our, our attention has focused, has re, relocated on its own, seemingly. Right? It's all happening on its own, in a way. So we, if, you know, hopefully we can bring a quality of playful inquisitiveness to this, to this process mysteriousness of attention, of awareness of how we can be exquisitely present in one moment and completely seemingly absent two moments later. And we weren't sure what happened in between but suddenly we were enjoying our, our sunbathing in Hawaii. And how did I get there? And then we, we start tracing the steps. All right. I had pineapple for dinner and that reminded me of you know... <laughs> Or whatever the meandering was. And then the, one of the other common flavors that, that, that I encounter a lot working with students in meditation is in this cartoon uh, um, uh, exemplifies this process as the person sitting in meditation and the little thought bubble comes up. Come on, peace of mind. Is that peace of mind? I haven't got all freaking day. Come on, peace of mind. Will you just hurry up? <laughs> Is that it? Is that peace of mind? Right. So we're, we're meditating to get something. Right? We're meditating to get somewhere. We're meditating to have a particular experience. We're meditating to get a certain state. Because right? we, you know, we all love feeling calm or peaceful or joyful or blissful or you know, thought-free or whatever our particular flavor is. Right? There's always some inclination towards some pleasurable experience. 
Yes? I'm assuming. Right? So if we're not conscious of that, then that just becomes the orienting principle in the meditation. We're sitting to get somewhere, to be calm, to be quiet, as a, as a, you know, as a nice contrast to the busy hecticness of our day, perhaps, or our busy mind. But in that, in that process, we're not necessarily practicing mindfulness, we're cultivating desire for a certain state, which we do subtly, or not so subtly, a lot, versus simply sitting in the fire of your experience and being present to whatever comes, and being curious about whatever comes, and being welcoming of whatever is here, boredom, joy, discomfort, restlessness, existential angst, sadness, oh, you know, whatever the human experience is, and tiredness. A lot harder to simply stay in the midst of that without crafting a particular state. I mean, in meditation we certainly cultivate qualities in support of that clear, curious, kind, awake presence. But not demand experience be a certain way. And then the third piece I want to just mention then open up for questions. Another line, beautiful line from Mary Oliver, one of her many great lines. She says, talking about death, she says, when it's all over, I want to say all my life I was a bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. It's another beautiful metaphor you could say for meditation. It's amazing when we, when we have a certain openness and curiosity. It's amazing that life is. It's amazing that we can hear things. It's amazing that we open our eyes and we suddenly see this whole vista, color and form and light and shape. I was driving back from the Sierras yesterday and driving through these beautiful forests and burnt out forests and I was having this reflection. It's amazing that this brain that's making some kind of visual representation of sense impression hitting the eye at 75 miles an hour can see seemingly millions of leaves at the same time at 70 miles an hour. Like, that's amazing. That the brain somehow can figure that this complexity of sensory stimuli and see forest or tree or hawk. I was the bride married to amazement. I was the bridegroom taking the world into my arms. I was welcoming experience. I was allowing experience to be the bridegroom taking the world into my arms, not rejecting anything. What a beautiful orientation to practice. You know, as Rumi talks about, you know, in the guest house, welcome and entertain the visitors, even if there are a crowd of sorrows who violently sweep your house empty of its furniture, still 
treat each guest honorably. They may be clearing you out for some new delight. Right? Can we welcome experience? If we can't welcome, then we, we can't allow experience to come close, we can't understand, we can't liberate whatever's arising. Right? And the, as I say a lot in, in, in teaching about mindfulness, that mindfulness is in support of clarity. It's in support of understanding. It's in support of knowing. But we can't know something and we can't understand something until we can actually allow it to be. Have it, give it space to be here so we can actually become intimate and understand what is this quality of loss or sadness or tenderness or intimacy or love or connection or vastness or mystery or sorrow, or whatever the human, you know, whatever the experience is. And that takes a certain amount of patience, a certain amount of spaciousness, a certain amount of warm-heartedness, because it's the heart, the love, that allows us to accommodate things more easily, more fully. I wasn't planning to speak so much, but I have one more thing to say. <laughs> so, the, no, the, so I'm just sort of riffing off different poetry lines that come to mind and that, 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 that reference meditation in some way. So there's another one of my favorite nature poems by this Chinese poet, Li Po. And I was thinking a lot about this. Med- I, I'd meditate every morning, um, very early, uh, at sunrise with this beautiful mountain, Mount Banner. And uh, mostly looking at the reflection of the mountain and seeing the the insubstantiality of form, and the poem goes: um, the the birds have vanished into the sky, and the last remaining clouds have faded away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains. The birds have vanished into the sky. The last remaining clouds have faded away. We sit together, the mountain and me, until only the mountain remains in that there's a dissolving of the sense of separation, of the sense of self, and the sense of merging and understanding that, that intimate interconnection with life. And, and also that arises at times in meditation where we cease to be the one who's doing the meditation. We cease to be <clears throat> even the one observing and there's just experience unfolding by itself. Things are being known quite effortlessly. Sounds arise and are known, not by me, but just known in awareness. There's a certain effortlessness to practice at a certain point, at certain times. It's very beautiful and empty and And then our knee hurts. <laughs> and then we have backache. <laughs> and we fall asleep. And I think, did I talk about the obstacles to meditation some, some weeks or months ago here? I thought I did, but... Um, you know, the various hindrances arise. You know, doubt, self-doubt, I can't do this, it's too hard. This is the wrong practice, I should have gone to yoga, not meditation. You know, I should have done some Tibetan chanting, not Vipassana. 
Right? Or the wanting mind, always seeking some experience. Or the aversive mind, always resisting something. If only mind, if only I could sit on the floor with perfect lotus legs, then I'd be in nirvana in ten minutes. You know. Or the restlessness energy, the, the dull energy. It's just there's so many different things to work with in practice. Can be really interesting. Can be really fun if we have that curious spirit, or we can go on autopilot. Anybody go on autopilot in their practice in the morning or whatever your daily practice is? You sit and you kind of do your thing, and right. But I think it's really important to have this quality of aliveness, of curiosity. What is this thing called practice, called meditation, called being awake, called being human, conscious of itself? So I'm curious, any um, questions about your practice? Yes, we have a hand up here. So we're going to pass mics around. We have a few mic runners. So, James, thanks. Okay, so um, thank you, first of all. Um, You used the word kindness a couple of times. And um, something I've reflected on is, what if it takes effort to have kindness towards yourself? And my relationship to that is I just sort of stopped trying to be kind and just kind of let it happen. But I do hear this word kindness, and I'm like, oh, that's absent, for example, and yet, I don't really want to effort my way to it because I know that doesn't work. How do you balance when you have these kind of tensions? I mean, do you just live with the tension? The tension of whether there's kindness there or not? Not even whether there's kindness there, but it seems like it's an effort Mm. to include that. Mm -hmm. It's not natural, Mm -hmm. and yet I understand its importance. And Mm -hmm. so I don't want to try, try, try to be really kind. Mm. I'd rather almost just say like, oh, that wasn't kind. Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And move on, and you know that's how I've reacted to it. That it's I heard this word kind come up, and I was like, oh, definitely don't have that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And you know, do I want to effort my way to kindness? Eh. Right, right. Seems yeah. like it seems like there's a tension potentially. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, it's a, it's an interesting question. Um, you know, of course, you know there are many times where kindness isn't present. You know, it's just it's not present. Doesn't seem available. Um, or accessible, and um, but the very awareness of its absence often calls its presence. So, the very fact that you know there's a lack of kindness is itself an inclination towards it. So often that's enough. Just to just to see, you know, say, you know, maybe maybe some there's some body ache or something, and then the first response is harshness. Like, oh, God, I'm sick of that backache. I'm fed up with that knee pain, right? This is like, oh, that's not very kind. <laughs> but it's a common response, right? We have physical pain or some emotional pain. And we, yeah, that's not what I sat in meditation for. Thank you very much. And um, there's a contraction, there's fear, or there's tension, or there's hatred, right? Which is painful. So I think the wisdom 
which comes from the knowing and the seeing, right? The seeing, oh, right, look at that. That's a really harsh reactive response. That wisdom is what both diffuses the, the say, the, the hostility in that moment or the aggression or the tension and that diffusing or that disengaging from that reactivity is itself kindness. Right? So kindness doesn't need to... Sometimes I think we have a lot of associations with kindness as being warm and soft and you know, pink puffy clouds and gooey. And, right? Kindness is... Non-reactivity is kindness. Right? Reactivity is painful. Right? To ourselves, to others, to the world, it's painful. Whenever we're... we're seeing that pattern and the painfulness and disengaging, that is an expression of kindness to ourselves. Right? Sometimes the seeing of the lack of kindness can actually bring it forth. Right? So I think the, the key piece is, is just noticing the absence or noticing the painfulness of its opposite, which is unkind, harsh, cruel, uncaring, whatever. And that, that itself allows some warmth to come in, I think. So, so for me, it's, it's, it's a process of noticing it and then pausing and then seeing if another response is possible without trying to be kind, because one can't be kind, but one can, as it were... Um, You know, just by calling to mind a quality can actually bring it up in a certain way. And, f- and the doorway for myself is noticing, pausing, relaxing, relaxing the body, and that allows a certain softening which has an association with kindness. So, okay, good. So, what are you doing in your practice? <laughs> Anybody practice here at home? Just 10 people? <laughs> All right. I know there's more of you than that. Yeah. So, what is what is what is what are you what, what's happening in your practice? Or oh, questions about your practice? So. Thanks, Mark. <clears throat> I'm just wondering, you know, you you've been practicing for a couple of decades, a few decades. Uh, and how is, how is practice evolving for you? You know, John used to do long retreats. I don't know if you still do that. How does it, um, how does it mature you know, in terms of the, is, that, is there an effortless between formal and informal practice more so now? Uh, and so that the practice becomes more focused on the moment, the, the non-formal practice, more, is that more accentuated? Or is there a stronger commitment and resolve towards uh, further daily for, uh, formal practice in the morning and the evening? Uh, is, it, is, is it less formalized in general, like you, uh, you or schedulized your, your practice, your, the way you, you know, engage with mindfulness? Uh, I just, I'd like to know how, like, how that works for you and, and how that you've seen that change, uh, the subtle, your subtle awarenesses. Mm. And if there, if, and, uh, you know, I think when I first started the practice, it seemed a little more um, non-linear. You know, the the growth that like sometimes it was it was really down. And maybe now it seems a little. Maybe it's just a temporary noticing of 
that's non, that, that won't hold true for long of slow, slower and steadier. Hmm. And if that's your experience as well. Hmm. Yeah. Well, you know, I have been practicing for a few decades, as you say, and so it's, um, there's definitely lots of different waves and iterations and, um, So, in some ways, I think it gets simpler and simpler. Um, <clears throat> and then the reason I ended the meditation like that, even though someone mentioned that it was discombobulating not to hear the bell, because he still felt like he was in the meditative state post-meditation, which was sort of the point of that. Um, not the discombobulation, but the, the integration. Um, the, the For me, there's there's not really a difference between meditation and non-meditation. I mean, if, if, there's a, if there's a depth of samadhi, a depth of concentration, there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a seeming difference. But basically, there's a, there's a certain continuity of awareness. That How I talk about it is that um, I think as, as we deepen in our practice, and the mindfulness and mindful awareness establishes itself as the norm not the um, aberration. Right? So in the beginning, when we start practicing with mindfulness, it feels like the, f- the moments of mindfulness are rare and our autopilot, habitual, spaced out self is the norm. Right? And at a certain point, how I experienced it is that that mindful awareness becomes the basis of one's experience and the... The, the unmindful, unconscious becomes more the aberration than the norm. So, and I think when that happens, then the, the difference, the, the separation or the distinction between meditation and non-meditation falls away. Or retreat, non-retreat. Um, even though there's a place still for formal practice and retreat for, as, a, as a way of deepening and refining because meditation is, is the laboratory of the mind and it is a very beautiful, direct way of being with one's, you know, immediate experience. And, um, yeah, there's so much to say. <clears throat> but I think, you know, for myself, it, it's, um, it becomes more and more ordinary. The, the process of sitting and just being aware, being human, breathing, Sensing, feeling, um, just feels extraordinarily ordinary, and at times very extraordinary, but mostly very ordinary and simple. And um, you know, I've noticed this with a lot of my colleague friends, teaching friends. You know, explored many different practices, esoteric practices, very refined, sophisticated practices, visualizations, and mantras, and. Blah, 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 blah. And, and when I ask most of them these days what they're doing when they're sitting, they say, well, just mindfulness of breath. Just sitting, being present, not doing much. And just being aware. And, you know, at times using techniques like, you know, concentration techniques, etc. Or, you know, developing heart, you know, heart cultivation techniques, loving kindness, compassion, um, when necessary. But mostly... Um, uh, uh, one way of framing it is, is, is a sort of residing in being, a residing in awareness. And, um, and just noticing 
the unfolding of an experience and then noticing the chattering mind and noticing the returning and um, not making much of a big deal out of any of it, really. But being curious. Um, And there's definitely many years where I was mostly curious about awareness, the nature of awareness, and just how awareness is a mysterious thing, right? We, We all have this thing called awareness, that reveals experience, that allows us to know what's here, and it's but it's invisible. Like, show me awareness. Come, put it on this plate. I want to see it. Right? Where is it? What shape? What color? What size? What dimension? Right? Where is awareness? It's elusive, and yet it's clearly cognizant and awake and, and knowing. That's fascinating to me. Um. So, so often it's just sitting with the, that, that display of awareness doing its thing, wearing. And at times I love formal practice and it's very structured. Other times it's not so structured and not so regular. And, um, but there's something, I think, you know, I think for, for those, and there's many people here who have sat for a long time and know that you know after many years of practice, there's a certain quality of presence and access to a mindful awareness that just follows one around for the most part. Of course, we space out and check out and get reactive and get lost in in whatever at times, right? but that's the not the norm. Um, so, and there's a certain deliciousness in that being able to abide in that quality of. Awareness. I don't know if that answers your question, but there's a few snippets of. Yeah, yeah. What about for you? You've been sitting a while. Well, uh, I, I think I've become more aware, aware of when I'm not aware. Mm-hmm. <laughs> right? Um, so uh, when I'm like out of alignment, mm-hmm. there's like a. You know, I guess I. I think of like diet changes as something like as I cleaned up my diet, I became, there's an immediacy to when I eat something that didn't agree with me. Mm-hmm. And I think now there's an immediacy when I'm making life decisions or I'm in a relationship or actions that don't support my well-being mm-hmm. as opposed to like, why am I feeling this way? You know, I, now there's like, oh, I, I'm able to connect the dots mm-hmm. a little more, uh, more clearly. I can see cause and effect in ways that probably weren't as uh, apparent to me. I would say years ago. So I think that's one of the fruits for me. And I think for, for sitting uh, practice, it's, um, it's less efforting to like have to sit. You know, like, like oh, like I said this, I'm like, it was like, no, there's another like aritana of commitment that I have to, that I'm going to do it. It's just sort of, it's, there's a, it's just, it's, it's, it comes, it comes very uh, less, uh, more effortlessly, I would say. But, you know, in terms of, uh, uh, you know, you read like the the teachings and the the high states. You know, those are I think that's uh, those are, are very unreliable <laughs> for me for sure. Mm-hmm. I have mem- I've experiences and remembers them, and like oh, that's a, and there's a something I hold within me of having known to have tasted a flavor of something, mm-hmm. but it's not something. It's not like a it's a, not like a, a knowing that in my in my bones. It's mm-hmm. It's a, it's just like having it's like a recollection of an experience. Uh, so there's 
a lot more practice that maybe will incline that to become my embodied state. <laughs> Good, thanks. Yeah. What else? Did you have a hand? Oh, it was? Oh. Is that other people's experience? Yeah? Okay, we are having trouble with our mics. So I apologize for that. It was very lovely and clear from when I was here, but I was, I'm very... <laughs> Questions, comments, reflections, practice, or otherwise? Otherwise, I'll have to just start asking you questions. Oh, yes. Hands over here. Beth? Um, here, Mike, James, in black. <laughs> Hi. Can, okay. can people Next. hear? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Um, I guess I was really interested in what you said about the... Um, well, I've noticed a tendency to... So speak louder, Beth, if louder. you can. Louder, okay. Yeah. Right can you, can you hear? Like it's no. an ice cream cone. How about that? That's yes, really the speak, you speak, uh, turn it like a lollipop. Like this. Yeah. Okay. There you go. <laughs> okay. No. <laughs> um, the Billy Collins poem about the future and the tall, evasive sister, the past. It's not quite right, but something mm -hmm. like that. Um, I was curious to know if you've ever used mindfulness to note whether your thoughts tend to go towards the past or go more towards the future? And I realized it's kind of sounding like a science experiment in a way. But <laughs> um, and I, No, but I was curious as soon as you repeated the poem. I've heard it before, but I had this kind of thought about... Because I notice I'm often, when I'm drawn away, mm -hmm. I can notice that it, once I start to come back, I'll, I'll think, oh, that's about the past. But I've never really taken any time to look at that, and I wondered if that's a useful inquiry or not. Or Yeah, I think it's... So the question's about, if you didn't hear it, the question's about using mindfulness to track, you know, really what's happening in the mind, where the mind's going past, future, or elsewhere. And yeah, no, I think it's really, I think it's the really important to know where what the habits and tendencies of our mind are you know some of us like to dwell in the past and rehash the past and try to make it better or whatever we do reminisce and um, and some of us are more lost in the future and planning and scheming and preparing and anticipating and rehearsing and reporting and we're telling people about our meditation experience and you know as if it's that interesting that anybody would really want to know. <laughs> um, so, yeah, I think, I think we, as I often say, we want to be as curious when we're present as when we're not present to, to the, in this case, the intended focus of, say, breath, right? So you want to be curious, where does your, where does your attention go? You know what? What avenues of of thinking? You know what? 
what kinds of proliferating thoughts and and to understand what triggers the thoughts, what what fuels the thoughts, what perpetuates the thoughts, what the hook is for going back to those memories or to those plans or to those fantasies. So, um, yeah, I mean, often we wake up in a thought or after a thought. And I I think there's some definite place for that um, reflection of, it's, it's a meta-cognitive reflection. Oh, I notice this is the inclination of my mind. Mm-hmm. Past, future, planning, arguing, whatever the, whatever the tendency. Because the more we know that, one, the more we're less likely to go down that road because we'll see, oh, that's, I keep going down these, these hallways of the past. And also we get to be curious about what's, you know where what's what's fueling that because mm-hmm. everything has a has a cause and a fuel and mm-hmm. if we don't know the tendency we won't get to understand what's fueling it and what, how we can release that fuel okay. so yeah, yeah be curious okay. yeah. so i'm going to do an experiment is the handed question over there but before i do that i'm going to ask so how many people tend to dwell more in the past raise your hand just just a little little Experiment, meditation in the past, past dwellers. Okay, and how many people tend to dwell more in the future, planning and anticipating? Okay, definitely a future-oriented crowd. (laughs) Yeah, just interesting culturally and otherwise um, where we hang. And how many people dwell more in the present? (laughs) All right, as uh, as one teacher puts it, more practice is required. <laughs> so there's a hand. Yes, you have the mic, please. Uh, yeah, my my question is about, um, I guess, establishing and more maintaining a daily practice. Um, I've sort of been trying to meditate daily for about a year, a little over a year, and it seems like I have these sort of cycles of momentum where I I start meditating for X number of weeks or even months and then kind of get busy and just kind of life takes over and stop and then come back and start again. And I guess my question is just any advice or tips about how to maintain that momentum and that consistency and and discipline in in the daily practice. Yeah. So... um Another question to the audience. How many people have challenges maintaining a daily practice? <laughs> okay, just so you know you're not alone back there. <laughs> it's like two-thirds of the room at least. Um, yeah, it's for various reasons not so easy to be established and committed to that. You know, for all kinds of different reasons, life circumstances and whatnot. Um, I think the most important thing well, there's a few things, but I think one of the most important things is uh, knowing why you're doing what you're doing, right? So, so really, it's supporting the motivation for your practice, which is staying inspired. Right? How do how do I stay inspired to practice? Right? What's so? What's motivating you to practice? Right? So. For me, over the years, what motivates me to practice is uh, staying inspired 
by the practice and the teaching. So it would be coming to teachings like this. It would be reading, it would be studying, it would be listening to teachers. It would be um, you know, finding something that challenged my understanding. Right? So I always like to be reading something um, and there's plenty of, there's a wealth of Dharma teachings available where someone is talking about a quality or a practice or, a, or an understanding or an insight or wisdom or some aspect of the Buddha's teaching and it kind of hooks my curiosity like how, what, is, what is it to know that or to live that or to be that or to see that from my own experience and so the more that I am on fire with some reflection and curiosity about life and dharma and wisdom then the more I'm likely to practice because I want to know that from my own experience and the meditation is, is such a rich support for that. So whatever keeps you inspired, whatever, you know, and it's being, in, being with community, being with like-minded people, being with people who inspire you, being around teachers or other people who practice a long time, who embody qualities that you, that you, that really, you really cherish, right? That's another motivation, right? So we come to places like this because it's hard to practice alone, so that's why we create these communities so we can actually have some support. That's why we have retreats so we can go deep with other people supporting us to practice. Um, so I think that's, for me, the, the, the most important question is what's, what's motivating you and how can you nurture that fire of uh, inspiration um, through all the different ways that I just mentioned. And then there's another piece of that which is a, which um, Ari referred to as aditana, this certain resolve or you know, we might use the word will in this culture that's um, uh, um, you know, a certain kind of commitment, uh, rain or shine to the practice. You know, and at times we can muster that quality of, of resolution where we just say, you know, for the next month I'm going to sit every day for a minimum of 20 minutes. Same, right? and we just, you know, maybe it's eleven thirty at night. We realize we haven't followed through with our commitment, so we, you know, we, we sit, you know, or you or you find a buddy who's who's also, you know, uh, aspiring to meditate, and you check in every day to see if you've meditated, and you hold each other accountable. You know, you go you go on insight timer, and you form a group, and you you know, and you can track each other's meditation. You can sit together, you know, virtually. You, know? you can listen to meditation apps. You know, you can listen to guided meditations that's, that, that inspire you and, and orient your mind in a certain way. Um, you know, Dharma Seed, dharmaseed.org has hundreds of thousands of talks and meditations and guided meditations and there's a whole plethora of apps out there that, that have good meditation practices on. Um, so they can be a support for your practice. I'm on one called will.com. It's got you know, hundreds of meditations, but there's, 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 there's loads of them um, that, are, that are helpful to just, again, nudge your mind in a certain direction. So I hope that helps. Thanks. Yeah. Hi. Um, so I, um, I hear two contrasting things when I'm when I think I'm understanding what you're saying. And one is um, about being in the present mo- moment and um, having a kind of awareness that's 
open and um, it sounds really good. And the other thing I hear is about um, watching yourself as your mind goes all over the place. And, um, and so, and that's also, seems like that's a good thing to do. And yet I so much want the first one and not so much the second one. And then when I'm watching myself want that first thing, I'm thinking, oh, that's, I'm messing up. <laughs> so I figured just by saying this to you, you're going to fix it for me. <laughs> <laughs> so thank you in advance. <laughs> Pressure's on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think you know, there are many modes, right? And you pointed out two predominant ones, right? Where the times that we're, we're residing in the present, which is mostly, you know, I mean, well, if we're wanting to be present, then it's mostly more pleasurable, right? Unless, of course, it's painful then it might not be pleasurable. And we might want to be somewhere else. <laughs> but that's another story. And as you say, yeah, and so the, so the you know, meditation is often observing how unpresent we are and how distracted we are and how restless we are and how busy our mind is and how much we think. And, and that can be really torturous to be sitting with... Uh, you know, untrained mind. Um, and that's where we stop. You know, our minds are untrained. You know, the Buddha said, nothing can harm you as much as your mind untrained. And just take a look. <laughs> take a look at the world. Take a look at the mess we're in, right? Because our minds are unruly and they create stories and fears and biases and bigotry and you know all the rest of it so um, you know I think there's you know meditation is, is you know there's lots of different metaphors one is, is it's gardening you know we love the roses and the you know and the carrots that grow from the garden right but there's many many months of digging the soil and tilling and, and laying the manure and, and watering and, and weeding and tending and pruning and cultivating. It's a, it's a, right? And then we get the fruit, right? Lasts for a little while, the flowers, whatever. And then another cycle, you know, winter. Um, so, you know, we have to put in the work. <laughs> And the only problem, not the only problem, uh, we make it harder if we make a problem out of the second thing you're referring to, <laughs> right? Rather than just saying, that's what the mind does. The mind's busy, crazy, distracted, wanders, gets lost, and spaces out, right? Why would I expect it to be different? Because <laughs> I've been doing that for the last many decades of my life. Why would it suddenly be all quiet and peaceful? just because I'm crossing my legs meditating. Right? It's a complete 
funny notion we have, or expectation, but it's a common one because that's what we think meditation is, right? You see those pictures in Time magazine meditating. <laughs> right? It looks really great. <laughs> and it's got lots of good press release, you know, all this good research and, you know, come into meditation, feel calm and peaceful and, right? If, 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 we, if we put really what happens, like come on, come to meditation and notice your wandering, distracted, busy, restless, existential, angst-ridden mind, we wouldn't, you know, fill many seats. Like it just wouldn't be good for business, you know. <laughs> so, you know, we tend towards orienting towards the, the fruits <laughs> and not the grunt work. <laughs> And mostly it's grunt work. <laughs> you know, for a long time, it's a, it's a lot of work to train the mind, you know. And even after many decades, it still, it still can be a lot of work. You know, if you're stressed, there's a lot going on in your body, in your life, in your relationship, and, you know. So, you know, I think, I think for myself and for, for others, you know, what, having meditated a while, um, being at peace with all it. it's a, it's an interesting paradox between being at peace with all of that so not getting distressed when the mind's busy you know, not getting distressed when the mind wanders just the mind wandering it's just what having a brain is like right? it thinks a lot when we're not distressed by that then that second state you're referring to isn't the problem it's just oh this morning I'm meditating it's busy this morning I'm meditating it's restless this morning I'm very agitated, my mind is hopping everywhere. And when we take refuge more in the awareness that's knowing it, rather than the conditions that are being known, there's not so much a problem. It's just, oh, this is what's happening today. Busy mind, restless mind. Of course I'd prefer the mind to be calm and peaceful. Why not? It's lovely when that happens. But that's not often up to me in the moment. So what's what's more key is is the is the is the relationship the, the with the wise relationship. So when it's calm, we we welcome it. When it's busy, we welcome that too. Right? And so there's less of a dichotomy between one or the other, and then, then it becomes less of a dichotomy between the sitting and not sitting. Right? And it's just you know, and and of course we use various techniques. This is where the paradox is because. We don't just sit there and welcome it and go, well, my mind's busy, I'm just going to be busy and spaced out the whole time. <laughs> no, there's an inclination, an orientation towards cultivating wholesome qualities, balance, stillness, presence, letting go, focus, all of those things. Right? There's a, so we're, we're holding the ease with how it is and an inclination towards more skillful states of mind and being. And that's the, that's the subtle dance we're playing we're at ease with what is and we're also using whatever skillful tools we have to bring our attention and establish awareness here. Does that make sense? And then there's a certain ease it doesn't, it, and ultimately it doesn't matter what's happening. You know? You know, if we, especially if we take a long range view. It's just you know, one morning, mind's busy, next morning, it's quiet, next morning, there's kindness, next morning, there's fear, and it's just, we're just present to the, you know, life unfolding. I'm sure I totally gave you what you want, but. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of feel like I'll listen to, to what you're saying, and it's like, 
I, I'm getting it, you know, and then it's like I, I got it by grabbing onto a soap bubble and it busted, you know, and and it's off again. Like, I, I sort of get what you're saying, but it still seems to me that state of mind number one is preferable to state of mind number two. Of course. I didn't say it wasn't. Of course, it, you know, when the, the, for the mind to be calm and peaceful, or the mind to be present... Yeah, it's a it's a it's a preferable state. So we notice the preference, we notice the the preferring, and we notice the wanting, and we notice, and then we, you know, if if it was just preferring, that's fine. But the preferring leads to wanting, leads to grasping, leads to demand, and leads to rejection of all that. That's the suffering of life right there. Right? It's human to have preferences. Human to have wanted to be clear and present and kind and right. And then, then there's life. <laughs> and how we relate to when it's not that is as important as establishing when it is. All those qualities are there. So, and that's, you know, that, that's, a, that's a part of the maturation of practice where we come to find some ease with the ride, the, the joys and the sorrows, the ups and the downs. And we hold it with some spacious equanimity. And then that the very stuff that we found problematic actually becomes less problematic because it's the, it's the relationship and the spaciousness with it that's more important than what's happening ultimately. And over time that becomes much stronger. Right? And that translates to when we're in life where there's many, many things that are not happening that we would like them to be happening, whether it's in our body or in our relationship or in politics or in the economy or in our work team or whatever it is there's more spaciousness with holding it because there's, there's life is days in every day is full of stuff that we don't want and don't like and that training in the meditation is a way to have training for you know the difficult things in life like feedback sounds <laughs> <laughs> or funky microphones or whatever it is you know <clears throat> so maybe that's enough for tonight so um, thank you for your attention and your practice and I hope this is a support for your practice um, since we're on the topic of I wasn't going to mention this but since we're on the pr- topic of practice um, the, I did mention that that app I'm on is an app called will.com and I, I recorded about 90 different meditations on there um, that are you know, a very variety of different practices which some of you may find useful um, and um, I periodically mail uh, those, are, those of you who are on my mail list I email information about that and uh, there's, I can uh, if you sign up I can mm, tell you about that and give you some free access to those meditations and whatnot. Um, but mostly just want to encourage you with your practice and as I was trying to do in the meditation to really be curious about your practice like what's happening what's, what's alive in your practice and what's happening in your practice you know? 
what would you say to someone about your practice? Right? It's a very private thing. But how would you talk about your practice? And where's the edge of your practice? Where's the juice? Where's the aliveness? Because um, it's, it's the juice and the energy that's going to keep us, there's the fire going to keep the fuel burning. So thank you everybody. Pleasure to be here. Be well. See you next month, I think. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.